Well, good evening. We are thankful each one is here with us. We have a good number for our adult class this evening. Uh, as we get started this evening, I did want to do a very uh, brief recap. I know not everyone was here last week, but we began looking at this idea of is Satan fighting against you? Uh, that's what we began looking at uh, last week. I'm just going to pull this up here real quick. And I want us to look at uh, a few things in the way of uh, review this evening, uh, just briefly. Uh, last time when we, when we got together, we talked about, or we asked the question, does Satan move against man today? We talked about First Peter 5 and verse 8, where the Bible talks about uh, uh, Satan walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We talked about how he does that and some examples of those things. We talked about Job, for instance, and several others as well. Uh, we also asked the question, is it important to be aware of Satan moving against man? We talked about 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. Uh, being aware of Satan's devices and him, when we say moving against us, uh, we mean him tempting us, causing us to sin, and various other struggles which he can bring upon us. Uh, then we talked about when, or excuse me, why or when would Satan move or fight against man? We talked about Job uh, 1, 9 through 11, and Job 2, 3 through 5. We talked about Satan might move against man after conversion. He might uh, move or attack against man after when a new work of the church or a new spiritually related work began. Uh, we talked about he might fight against us uh, when you are physically weak. We talked about how he might fight against you when you are alone or when you feel alone. And he might uh, fight against you by using an attack from an unexpected source. And then we close by looking at uh, some reminders of being aware of our adversary, how it helps us to overcome him. We talked about being aware of how our adversary may try or tempt you, uh, and being aware of that, how he will do that, will aid in us overcoming him. We talked about being aware that Satan will attack us when we are weak. And we talked about how, how Satan can be overcome. Now, for a lesson this evening, uh, we're looking at how does Satan's actions against the Christian, uh, how does that affect us? Uh, how does that affect the Christian? And before we begin, in, and I have just I have six very broad things for us to consider, but I'm going to ask a question. We're going to start it this way. How does Satan's actions affect the Christian. When we say actions, we know that the Bible tells us that Satan, yes, is trying to tempt us in various ways and cause us uh, grief, a bit of mildly. But how does that affect us other than not just saying how he does it, the ways in which he can do it, we talked about that last time, but how does it affect us as a Christian? You can say almost anything. How can it affect the Christian? Satan attacking us or wanting to hinder you in some way, how does that affect you? Okay, I'll give you the first one. How about anxiety? Right? Mom says you could be almost anything it can because Satan's attacks can cause you a great deal of problems in life, not just how he attacks us or what he uses, but what results, what it brings about in our life. And when we think about some things that happen to us as a result of Satan attacking us, and again, like we talked about last week, we're not talking about hearing a small voice, 
Satan trying to come after us or something like that. We're not talking about some literal, you know, thing or being. I mentioned last week, I uh, knew a person whose grandmother said she saw something in the kitchen at some time and whatever. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Satan uses, using the things around us to hinder us today. And the result of those things, one of the first things that comes to my mind is anxiety or worry. And we talked about this, and I'm sure there's been millions of Bible classes, millions of sermons talked talk about from Matthew 6, and we're probably not talk about anything new this evening. Uh, but when I think about anxiety, one of the best things to remember when we talk about anxiety or worry are the words of Christ in Matthew 6 and verse 25 and following. Because worry and anxiety, we can have anxiety about things that may not happen, but worry is very close related. Okay, now, you notice there in verse 25, in fact, some translations don't say worry, they say do not be anxious or be anxious for nothing, right? Uh, but here in, in Matthew 6, 25, it says, Therefore I said you do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, question, have you ever worried about any of those things? I think for honest, we're going to say, yeah. I'm sure at some point in our lives, whether we're just starting out uh, on our own uh, married life or single life or whatever it may be, after a job loss, whatever the occasion, at some point, well, I probably thought about what we're going to eat. I'm not talking about deciding where we're going to eat on a Sunday, because we all know that's a never-ending conversation. Where do you want to go, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, have we ever worried or wondered about how we're going to put, put food on our table? How we're going to put it in our fridge? You know, it was a couple of weeks ago, and I can say this because she's not in here, but eventually I'll stop. But Chloe said, you know, there's so much food in here. She's talking about the fridge. I said, well, we should be glad that's the case, because for some people, that's not the case, right? Because everything is going up in price, literally everything. And so when you see that, we should be thankful. That, that may not always be the case. So we look here in verse 25. He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Isn't it interesting that we have organizations or time set aside many times for some, some congregations do and we want this. To address these very things. The food pantry, what was that for? To reach out to the lost. That was the primary reason. But also to help put food on people's tables, right? When we first, when we first came 10 whatever years ago, uh, there was clothing that was in the other building where once food, or clothing is being given away to those who are in need, which is much harder to do than, than food, I tell you that, uh, for a lot of reasons. But, what is that purpose? To reach out of the loss and provide clothing. Two things that already are mentioned here in verse 25. Eating or drinking. And he says, and what you will put on. Food, clothing, we, we would add today shelter, right? He says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And he goes in talking about looking at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor get into barns that your heavenly Father not feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, he's not telling us that we don't have to labor to provide for ourselves. Because there are some who probably say, well, see, I'm just going to provide for us. Well, he provides for us today in the form of 
jobs. Right. And that's true even in New Testament and in, in the time period of Christ and others that in fact, the Bible tells us, uh, he who will not uh, work, you let him eat, right? And so that's not what he's talking about here. But the idea throughout this section is God will provide if we'll simply put him first. Uh, he goes on to say here in verse uh, 27, Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature that is by having anxiety or worry over any of these things mentioned in verse 25 or really anything at all? Because you notice in verse 25, the beginning, he gives a very broad term by saying, do not worry about your life. And then he gives certain aspects of human life, right? Food, drink, clothing. But he starts off with life, meaning anything. In life, we should not worry about. Now, that's much easier said than done, right? But can Satan cause us, cause things to happen, or not, I shouldn't say cause things to happen, but can things happen in our life and cause us anxiety that Satan will use that to try to hinder us even more? Yes. Right? Food, clothing, worry about those things? Yes. Because everything, you know, everything happens in cycles, right? Including fashion happens in cycles. Food prices happen in cycles. They kind of go up and kind of go down and they kind of go up and they kind of level off, right? Uh, everything happens in, in that way uh, to some degree. But and to, for, to some degree, there's not a whole lot which we can do about it, right? Me, personally, there's not a whole lot I can do about it physically to change that. But it doesn't mean that we can worry. Because you find in verse 27, he tells us basically, what is verse 27, what is he saying in verse 27? In very simple, plain, what is he saying? Does worry change anything? No, it doesn't. Now it's hard to not worry. Because we want to provide for ourselves, we want to provide for our children and so on. But that's just the example here, providing for ourselves. But worry doesn't change anything in any situation. Prayer changes things, though, doesn't it? Prayer is where we communicate with God through Christ. And so we need to substitute worry with prayer. Look at verse 28. He says, so why do you worry about clothing? And in reality, why do we worry? Because we're human. It's, I won't say it's part of our nature, but to some degree it kind of is because it's hard enough to worry about things that, that are outside your control, right? Because we, we feel more secure, and I think falsely so, when we think we have things in control, right? When we feel like we can't control certain things, that's when we get worried. He says, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon and all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Again, providing for us without us what? Worrying about it. Through the natural process, usually the natural process is we are born, we are raised, we find some type of employment somewhere between there. Sometimes the marriage bond begins, even if it doesn't, what is involved? Working to provide for yourself or for those who in your household, right? And we find there in verse 30, If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Who is pictured as the provider in verse 30? God, right? Has that changed at all today? No. 
I'm sure if you ask some people, well, who's your provider? Well, I ship a lot on Amazon. No, that's not what we're talking about. Who makes all those things possible to be able to do those things? God does. Every blessing, everything that we have in this life originates because God blesses us in some way to make it possible. When we go out to, to, our, to a restaurant, no matter where it is, fast food, whatever, or we sit at home at our table, we're eating our meal, where has the blessing come from that allowed us to do that? It's come from God. Now, we go back here in verse 30. That's what we find here who is pictured again, and rightfully so as the provider, is God. And then he says in verse 31, Therefore do not worry, or do not have anxiety, right? What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? It's interesting that he chooses the basic... I mean, he doesn't list every basic thing here, but we understand he's some of the basic things of life, right? He only addresses the basic needs of a human. It's food, clothing, shelter. That's the idea. He doesn't go beyond that. And I think if we're honest... And we're all guilty of it, I include myself in that. That we start worrying about things way too much that are beyond our basic needs. We have our food, we have our clothing, we have our shelter, we have today, in most cases we need a vehicle, we have that or some way to get from point A to point B, right? And with that, as the Apostle Paul says, we should be content. And he says, do not worry about these things, he mentions them, which are the basic things in life. And so as we read through, he goes on to say, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Heavenly Father knows, knows, knows that you need all these things. Notice there the need, right? And I don't, I don't spend too much time just on the basic things, because the whole point of all of this is anxiety and worry is one of the tools of the devil. And again, when I say tools, I don't mean something miraculous like Satan whispering in your ear and causing you to doubt. But sometimes it can feel that way when we get overly concerned about things that aren't that important or things that are beyond our control. Can we control the actions of other people? No. Now, I, can, I will say gladly there are times I wish people would reconsider their actions and their words but I can't make them do it. I don't think I'm alone on that. When people say things or do certain things, I'm thinking, really wish you did that differently or didn't do that at all. But it doesn't mean that I should go out and worry about it because I can't change it. I can pray for that individual, whatever that was, but I can't change it. That's a hard lesson to learn. And if I'm honest, it's one I'm still learning today because we, we worry about people, we worry about certain situations, and many times there's something we can do ourselves, and we have to remind ourselves we need to pray about it and not worry about it. And now in verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, in this verse, he's telling us to not worry about our basic needs, put God first in those things we need, which the Bible tells us in verse 32, the Lord knows we need them. But we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added to you. Now, put God first, God will provide. That's the main point of verse 33. When other things begin to arise up in our life, outside of the realm of basic needs, whether it be sickness or worry about our own health, someone else's health, our financial situation, the financial situation of someone else, whatever it may be, 
Does worry change any of that? No. Again, it's hard not to, but what changes things? Well, prayer does. And so even though we're talking about the basic needs in verses 25 through 34, it applies to a whole, to a whole lot more than just the basic needs area, doesn't it? We can say, well, worry doesn't change anything in terms of our basic needs. Well, yeah, that's correct. But worry doesn't change anything in any area of life. We're worried about a lost loved one who, who is living in sin. Worry doesn't change that. Prayer and conversation and study and logical steps may change that, but worry doesn't. I think that's one of the things that we have to remember is Satan wants us to worry because when you're worried, are you preoccupied? And when you're preoccupied, you're not focused on what you need to be focused on, right? And so anxiety and worry can bring about, cause us to be preoccupied with things, and there you go, we're not working on or worried about other things. And I've probably said many times, if we're honest, we'll probably talk about this for years and years to come, but COVID is a good way to preoccupy us with things we could not change, wasn't it? And now we understand, and don't misunderstand me, there are a lot of legitimate concerns, but there are a lot of things that were just we're honest, a little much, right? And we go back and look in the Bible, we find individuals, they suffered a lot of very difficult times. You know, we, we say that today, people sometimes say, well, it really wasn't the same. Really? The Apostle, or not the Apostle Paul, Saul, prior to his conversion, was literally hunting Christians down. But you don't read about them stopping assembling because they're afraid Saul might walk in. And so, that's just one example, right? Worry causes us to be preoccupied and you stop doing what we should be doing the whole time. Uh, before we move on to our next point, are there any comments or questions concerning this aspect of which, uh, how Satan's attack against us affects us and how his attacks can bring about anxiety or worry? Just a quick thought. Uh, when you think about the word there in 633, it's helpful to think about the word serve up in verse 24. Because that's this idea of not being worried, not being anxious, is it's impossible for us to serve two masters. Mm -hmm. And there is no, you're either serving one or you're not serving one. In other words, it's either one or more than one. And if it's not just one, then you already have a problem. Mm -hmm. And if there's something else that guiding your decisions, and that's the thing, it's not that you can't, you know, kind of like with your food and, and clothing, it's not that we're not supposed to do anything about them. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he doesn't say, do nothing about your food and clothing ever. He says, don't let them be something that you seek as a priority. Mm -hmm. And that's why down at the bottom, see, or down at the bottom, in the end of the, the, the chapter, seek ye first the kingdom of God. So seeking is tied together with serving because you can't serve two masters mm -hmm. which are in the context of God and man or God and riches. You can't serve the two. Yeah. You can only serve one. If you if you even split the time you've already, the devil's already won. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's why he's saying you've got to seek God first in his righteousness. In other words will you have to do anything about the rest of those things? Yes. But ultimately, God's going to provide for you as you seek Him first. Yeah. 
trying to serve two things or two kinds of the world and God. He says, Mammon or God. It's like trying to look in two places at the same time. The human can't do it. And when we get preoccupied with worrying about clothing and things, we're, we're, we're taking our eyes off, off God. And we definitely can't do both of those. We cannot serve the world or be preoccupied with worldly things and serve God at the same time. And you think about it, there's a lot of things that Satan wants us to do that we think, well, I don't really see how that affects us. But if you're preoccupied with things, how many times do you start to do something and you get distracted and before you realize it, an hour later, you're like, oh wait, what was I going to do? I mean, I'm not, I think I'm the only one that does that, but in a real sense, that's kind of what Satan does with worry. You get distracted about looking at something else, obtaining something else, and you lose the sight of what you're originally going to do in the first place. Um, and so we definitely have to be careful about that. Hey, Russell, yes. I don't know if you want to get into it, uh, but uh, in a larger sense, especially uh, as far as our nation, and I love that in our congregation, we know that we should pray for you, but uh, because of all that, so much out of our control, like uh, anxiety about food, when we go to the grocery store, it's just not like it used to be. It's hidden yeah. in some way. Yeah. You know, even uh, just on a large scale, um, sick attacking our country and it having these effects on us, it could can have these effects on us on an individual uh, basis. Yes. Uh, well, you think about it, you have a, say, for example, you have a nation who's focused on prices of things. They start taking their mind off moral things. Or, or a family or whatever it may be. Whenever, you know, ideally we're focused upon God. And we're focused upon correcting things that are not right. But when we, when other things come up, and I... I believe certain things in the news happen as distractions, whether you like it or not, I really do, to take your mind off certain other aspects that are going on. And so I definitely think Satan can, on a wider scale, affect more people than just us as a single person. As a nation, you get distracted, you start moving your focus on other things. Yeah, Paul? Um, one thing we got to keep in, I, I always have to remind myself of, I guess, is uh, when you look at our nation, or any nation for that matter, you know, the devil already has the nation. That doesn't, true, or I, I don't, uh, I'm not saying that he's not doing things to the nation that causes problems, because he certainly does. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I would say this, take our country in very specific example. We have for decades and decades done things that have completely and totally gone against God. Mm-hmm. And what that does is eventually, you know, to use the biblical examples from the past, is it starts filling up a cup of wrath like every other nation has done in the past and has eventually, uh, or many of them have eventually faced the consequences of that wrath being filled up. Mm-hmm. Israel and Judah not to be excluded from that, that uh, example. But I guess what I'm saying is the country is suffering now as large in, in one way because of the sinful choices that we've made for so long. So I guess what I'm pointing out is we're going to suffer things in this country whole, as a whole that are going to be from God allowing things to happen. Yeah. But at the same time, yes, the more that people pursue sin, the more bad results and the more... Is it rat? What's that? Well, that rat is the 
and like right now, if, if you if you are somewhere, I'll just I won't get very very specific, but let's say you were somewhere and and someone was choosing to act very poorly, you could get harmed in that situation because of their very bad choices of how they what they're doing or whatever. And so yes, their bad behavior, Satan getting those people to do things or them giving into the desires of whatever they want. Yes, but I guess what I want us to keep another what I. One of the things I want us to remember is that we're going to suffer some things in this country that are going to be allowed by God because of our sinfulness as a nation. Yeah, you know, there's there are times when, well, you think about it, it wasn't just London. There were two men who were innocent and still just lived through that anyway. Um, there are a lot of things, there's a lot of things we see going on in our world and as a nation, and I think sometimes even locally as well, where where you see people getting what they're asked what they asked for for so long, and then what you see also behind it is God giving what you have. You know, you're starting to reap what you have sown, and I think that we see that over and over again, right? We we see a, a stark uh, difference coming in, and then we see the reaping what you have sown, and then you kind of see it turn back to some degree, and then you see it all over again. And history just repeats itself, and and people are in general, are slow learners. I say people in the broad sense are slow learners. I mean, Israel was a very slow learner. Uh, so definitely, I think we can see this on a much broader scale than just individual. And and God, like you like talking, allowing things to happen. There's some things that Satan brings about, some things that God just says, you know, this is what you want. You know, I mean, I think about Saul, they, you know, they wanted a king, and they got the king. <laughs> and then they didn't want that king anymore. But <clears throat> anyway... Um, so Satan's actions against the Christian affect us in one way is by anxiety. Another is by depression. Um, and I've always, I shouldn't say always, but for a long time, especially in recent years, I thought if you can get a Christian in a spiritual sense down and keep them down, then you're going, that's, you know, it's over, right? Uh, because when a Christian stumbles in some way or falters in some way, especially for a long period of time, not only do they struggle to come back for various reasons, but I think the longer a Christian stays away or is struggling, struggling in some way for, for a long time, depression starts to come in behind it. And to me, depression is like the, uh, the strap that keeps you down. Uh, we, get, we get depressed about the situation and we kind of give up and don't want to do anything about it. Uh, you think about Psalm 42, 10 and 11. He says here, as with a, as with a breaking of my, my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, this is one verse, or one section I've chosen, I'm sure there's others, and maybe better ones. Uh, when I think about depression, I'm it sounds to me, maybe he's not depressed, but to me he's definitely down in verse 11. And he says, you know, why is my, why are you disquieted within me? Um, there are things in our life that will happen at some point that, if we're honest, will make us at least stammer in some way. Uh, the Bible reminds us that all of us stand upon the shore of the glory of God. When I say stammer, I don't mean that it causes you to fall away for a time. I mean, it causes you to, to, to maybe, uh, worry more than she should. 
Maybe it caused you to, to rethink some things that you shouldn't be rethinking, whatever it may be. But you think about depression, and I think about, I always think about those who I visit in the hospital sometimes, and they're very down about whatever their health issue is. I remember one gentleman when, I was, when we were in South Carolina, he had a lot of health issues, but I think his mind made it even worse. I'm really convinced of it. Uh, because he, he always had a negative outlook. I remember one occasion the nurse came in and she was talking to him and I was there and she was kind of giving him an update and he, he replied every time with some kind of negative comment and she left and said, what do you think is going to help you by being negative all the time? And I'll be honest, he really didn't like me that much anyway, so I just kind of blunt with him. How's that going to help you? Because it's not, right? And when you're down and you beat yourself up, what's going to happen? You're just going to get even lower and lower and lower. Or I think about another brother who, from here, when he was in the hospital, I'd go in and visit him, and we'd be talking and laughing. No, I don't think it, do I think that was a cure? No. But I think it sure helped him a whole lot more than being a Debbie Downer. Because sometimes when you're feeling down, you want to stay in that hospital. And I've been in the hospital that many times before, but when I was in there last year, the nurse came in and said, you ready to go? I said, yes. <laughs> he said, well, somebody really wants to stay. I said, well, I don't. I'm done. I tell all the reasons why, but I was done. Um, but sometimes we get people in there, they, they want to stay. And that shouldn't be our, our mindset. That the beginning, we get in a certain situation, and I use help because I think that's one of the biggest ones. And we get down and we get lower and lower as we, as we dwell upon it. Instead of looking for ways to overcome it or ways to even just to improve the situation, maybe we're not able to overcome it. Maybe we've been diagnosed with something that we can't overcome. But it doesn't have to be the depressing thing that it could become. If you look at Psalm 42 and verse 10, he asks a question. He says here in verse 10, As with, breaking, as with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they say to me all the day long, Where, where is your God? So he compares them saying, Where is your God? Like they're breaking his bones. I don't think he's talking about literally. But they are breaking him down by saying, where is your God? And he says they do it all day long, so it's, where is your God? Where is your God? But what happens in verse 11? He starts getting, as he says there, his, he is, his soul is disquieted within him. It could be a reference to unrest. It could be a reference to depression. It could be a reference to anxiety. Whatever. But I think... To some degree, he was depressed because he's waiting to, for God to reply in some way. We know he always does. But until that happens, he goes through this course of feelings there in verse, verse 11. Why are you quite disquieted within me? Hoping God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And look at that a little bit closer. Do you ever talk to yourself? You can say, say you do. Maybe you don't. Talk to yourself out loud. Uh, but maybe you were trying to think something through. Do what? It's not the answer. No, I ask myself, but I won't I'll answer myself when no one else is home. But um, you're trying to think through a certain process, or maybe you're just whatever, and you start talking to yourself. I know I've, done, I've been working on something, and I'll say, why do you do that? And there's no one else in the room. But you look here in verse 11, that kind of seems to be to some degree what he's talking about. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Doesn't he reply in verse 11? And why are you just within me? 
hope in God. He's trying to remind himself where his hope lies, isn't he? His hope lies in God. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Meaning he's going to praise God again. Uh, he says, the, the help of my countenance, which is God, the help of my countenance and my God. The way to be encouraged sometimes is you have to encourage yourself. You have to do your best to take your mind off certain things. Now, depending on this situation, and I'm not overly familiar with it, but he is being hindered by those around him questioning, where is your God? Where is your God? <clears throat> now, we have hear people say that sometimes today when a terrorist attacks a group of people. People will ask, well, where is God? Where was God when that happened? So remember, people have free will. They're allowed by God to make their choices. And they're also allowed by God to pay for them at the feet of Christ and judge the day, right? But people are allowed to make choices, good and bad. And people are allowed to make poor, crazy choices. There's really no free will, right? Now, we look here in Psalm 42, 10 through 11. There is, to some degree, some depression and some Another a moment of being down, but he encouraging himself by reminding himself that yes, he will praise God again. Yes, God is his encouragement. The help of my countenance or his attitude, right? Remember, the countenance is also mentioned about Cain when the Lord said, spoke to Cain, why, uh, why is your countenance fallen, right? And he says, the help of my countenance and my God. And so he looks at the idea of praising God and giving God the glory, having his hope in him as what's going to lift him up. It's much easier to see your way out of a hard time when you're looking for the sunshine and not looking for the dark, isn't it? We have to keep looking up. How does Satan's attacks, how does his attacks affect us? They can cause intense stress. Intense stress. We get stressed out about things, and sometimes it becomes a little too much, doesn't it? Sometimes you get stressed out, and you say, you know what? It's been a long day. I'm going to have a bowl of ice cream. You can do it however you want. But that's just one example, right? You have intense things are going on. Look at 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves in the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I love that this verse says all your care because he's basically saying us, God doesn't care what your cares are. Bring them all to him. You ever had a long day? Someone says, I have a question for you. Sometimes I tell them it has to be an easy one. It's been a long day. God never says that. All your cares, he says there in verse 7, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. All those things that are causing us to stress, we need to bring those things to God. But intense stress is one of the things that can result as of the various ways we feel like Satan is attacking us. And we talked about those last time. Look at Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he should not be utterly cast down. The Lord upholds him with his hand. Now, his hand is not literal there, but how does he say that he is lifted back up when he falls down? By God. There's going to be at some point in our life, if we're honest, where we're going to be under intense stress and we're going to be looking for help. 
And if we're intelligent about it and logical about it, we will turn to God. You look here in verse 23. It says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. So the good man here is pictured as delighting in the ways and the commands of God. He delights in them. He enjoys them. And then he kind of gives the reason why, verse 24, Though he fall, and he's not talking about physically, he shall not be utterly cast down. Though he what? Sin, misstep, make a mistake. That's what he's talking about. He should not be early cast down. It means he should not what? Completely early fail. Why? For the Lord upholds him with his hand. We're not talking about God overlooking sin. That's not what we're talking about. But when we are going down a road and we sin, can the Christian repent? Yes. If we're having a difficult time and having intense stress, who can see us through? God. And that's what we're reminded of here in Psalm 37, 23, and 24. Now, we think about intense stress and how it can cause anxiety, it can cause depression, it can cause, we'll see in a moment, anger or bitterness or even irrational behavior. But all these things come as a result of the various temptations and trials that can come from living a Christian life, which Satan does not want you to do. You remember the goal of Satan and Job? Remember, you know, God says, you consider my servant Job, there's none like him on the earth. In reality, that's all Satan had to hear because he wanted to say, well, he'll curse you to your face. He fell in chapter 1. He said the same thing in chapter 2. He'll curse you to your face. And later we find that that's not what Job did. And that, we think about that in many ways. Satan today does not attack us like Job, but he most definitely tries us and tempts us either through the world or, or through uh, some temptation or trial that we're going through. You know, if, if you think about it, if you're, if you're trying to chop down a tree, I'm just giving a random example, and you see a soft spot, you see a spot, you think that'd be perfect for this axe to hit to be that first strike, where are you gonna put the, where are you gonna put the axe? In that spot. You think about it from Satan's point of view, if he sees us struggling, wouldn't that be the perfect time to come at it? And those actions can result in anxiety, depression, stress. What about anger? Anger is something that happens sometimes as a result of other things. Not always, but many times it's a result of some situation or something that has come up, something that has said something to you, the list goes on and on. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, if we're honest, that can be very difficult to do. Because when you get angry, sometimes you don't think clearly. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not giving a pass on that. Thing. Sometimes you're angry, you just do things you wouldn't normally do. That's why you see construction men. They make a mistake. They put their fist through, through drywall. That's not a logical thing to do because they just made more work. But sometimes that's what's happened, right? Being angry and reacting. But he says here, be angry, and the reaction is, do not sin. You notice he doesn't say, do not be angry. He just says, do not sin. There are times where it's not wrong to be angry. We can be angry sometimes when people don't do what do don't do what is right. Doesn't again we don't sin. But we can, we can be angry, can't we? 
We think about Christ when he goes in and cleanses the temple. We give that as an example of righteous anger. He does, right? I mean, he pulls out and makes a whip and starts driving people out. He flips over tables. Why? Because they made, as he says, his father's house as a den of thieves. Was he wrong for being angry? No. He didn't sin. The Bible doesn't record he actually hurt anyone. He just, what? Drives them out. Be angry and do not sin. Then he said, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. I think if, if we look at some studies, you'll find that being angry for long periods of time is probably really bad for your health. I think it's bad probably for your heart rate, for your blood pressure, uh, your stress levels. People can get angry and sometimes what happens is they literally will have a heart attack. Maybe they've been poor health before, but angry gets so angry. What happens is it sets it off and then it gets even worse. Being angry for a long period of time is not good either. Because it can kind of brew, and what happens, we get worse. And so, if it's, we think about anger, and we say this as we're all calm, seeing a nice air-conditioned building in May, but when we get angry, things aren't going well, anything can set us off. What we have to do is decide how we're going to deal with it. We can go to God and pray about it, which we should be doing, and try our best to calm down. Sometimes it may mean we go and do something else. Maybe it means we stop doing what we're doing and just sit, whatever it may be, to cool down. Because anger for a long period of time is, is never spoken of in the Bible, or I think, or any health journal to look at as being a good thing. It'll affect you mentally. It'll, help, it'll affect you physically. And when you get angry about something and, and you allow it to, to pursue, to continue on, it can, I think it can, I think, I think about it this way is that when you finally do calm down and you realize you can't change anything, sometimes it turns from anger to depression. You go from one extreme to the next. But we have to be someone we keep in control and not allow ourselves to sin and keeping ourselves, uh, you know, in the right from the mind. Being upset is not wrong. We have to make sure we are in control. Is that Paul? Um, you think about, uh, Looking up and said several things here that made me think of something here, and that's in the book of Revelation, they're dealing with losing their lives. People have already died, that's who the souls under the altar were, people that had already died for holding faithful uh, obedience to God and not, not giving up even though they died for it. Mm-hmm. And others, you know, the people receiving the book were, were facing similar situations. And in chapters 4 and 5, really the first five chapters, but specifically in chapters 4 and 5, the emphasis is God is still in His throne. Because in chapters 4 and 5, that word is used over and over again. Uh, I I, I remember writing something like, I don't know, 12 or 13 times that in 11 verses, in chapter 4, that the word corona is used. Mm -hmm. And so in other words, that's one of the, that's when we kind of get out of whack in anything that can result in any of these things. It can result in Anxiety, stress, anger, fear, it can, it can result in any of these things. Yeah, one can spawn another. Really yeah, bad. depending on which way you go with it and maybe what other factors might be involved in your particular situation. But, but, but the point was, God was telling them, you know, through the entire apostle, that, look, remember that even though you're facing death, I'm on the throne and I'm in control. 
and that ties back to you know the mental issues, which can be a very, very real thing and powerful thing. Because you know, you look back in Matthew six, as you were using earlier, and in from verses twenty-four, you know, twenty-five through thirty-four, it's like six times I think that the idea of taking thought is used. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it's mental. In other words, you're seeing all these things, but be mindful of what you're seeking and serving, like we said earlier, but you've got to take thought. In the passage you used earlier uh, from the Psalms, as far as it said, but I hope in God. So hope is desire plus expectation. Well, those two things go together in order to have hope. You have to desire a thing. In other words, the Christian's desire is to be at home with God in heaven. That's the ultimate desire. Well, you have to also accept that thing. That's what God has made available for us through Christianity, through the church, through the sacrifice of Christ, through all that he's done. We have an expectation, not like we're due it or owed it or uh, deserving, but as in he's promised it and it'll be, he's faithful to keep his promise if we obey him. Yeah. And so that those two things, you've got to have those two things together and those two things help the mind out. If you desire something, which you have a choice in, then you start to expect something. In other words, that's what he was. That's what the psalmist was telling himself: is hope in God. You know, don't be disquieted. Hope in God. Remember that He's in control. Remember that even though I'm going through this difficult situation, even though, as he mentioned, my bones breaking, I'm God's in control, and I'm on hope in Him. But you have to have those two things, and they're they're mentally driven, which then chooses your actions for you, or you know, helps you with your actions. Yeah, when you when you remember who God is. You start remembering things like uh, the psalmist says, I've been young and have been old and I've been righteous forsaken or forsaken bread, which means he's been alive a long time. He's always seen God take care of his own, which is like what you're saying. Remembering who's in control, remembering that God's going to take care of us. But, and that's the hardest when we're angry or when we're depressed or when we're worried. But that's when we need it the most. When you know when you need to do things the most, that's always one of the hardest to do, right? Uh, you think about some anxiety or depression or intense stress or anger. We remember remember who God is and Him, like you were saying, on His throne, being in control, remembering things like the psalmist saying, God has always been there for the righteous. Uh, if we can do that, we'll come through those periods of depression and anxiety a whole lot easier than if we don't remember those things. Um, we only have like one minute left, but there's only one more verse I'm going to look at for anger, and I have two more things on here. But uh, James 1, 19 and 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the man of for the man of excuse me, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Uh, slow to hear, uh, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I mean, listen more, be quiet, and keep calm, which are all things difficult to do, right? Especially when you're listening to nonsense, it's hard to mm, keep calm. Um, something's going to raise my blood pressure. It's going to be when I see the news at the gym or TVs in the morning and I try to just ignore it uh, because I can't do much about any of it. And it's something that can cause us to worry or, or get excited about things. Well, he says here, labor man be swift to hear, so to speak, slow to wrath. Uh, he says, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So anger does not, what? Doesn't show forth God, does it? It's hard to be the life for, for Christ in the world around us if we're 
angry. And some of, some of we have to work on. There's some maybe more than others. And I said myself, when you get angry about things, you got to figure out a way to calm down and eventually get over it. All right, we're going to stop there this evening because it is our time. Uh, when we come back um, next week, Lord willing, we'll finish up the last two points and then we'll look at uh, our third lesson. So we're going to let the Ross come forward, Luke, and our closing.